0: This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water-stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, Their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 78 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Trinity Muzan Wofford, the co-founder and CEO of Gold. Gold is a Brooklyn-born health and wellness brand powered by superfoods that's on a mission to make wellness accessible, easy, and fun for the next generation. In this episode, Trinity shares with us her entrepreneurial journey from growing up with a single parent who struggled with an autoimmune disease to attending NYU with aspirations to become a doctor to working in marketing at a tech startup— to moving back home to bootstrap and build gold with her husband and co-founder Izzy. She talks with us about her passion for holistic healing, the two reasons why she believes founders fail, and how she became the youngest Black woman to sell her line at Sephora at just 25 years old. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe or text me at 310-510-6044. That's 310-510-6044 to enter to win free products and get special discounts from some of your favorite brands. So shoot me a text, say hello, or just tell me your favorite brand and we'll try to hook you up. I'm so excited to hear from you and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Trinity, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story in building gold. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Lee. Really excited to be chatting with you. Yeah. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Upstate New York, a small city. I really consider it more of a small town called Saratoga, where I actually am right now. I, post-pandemic, left my Brooklyn apartment and have been back home upstate for the past year plus now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Getting some fresh air.
1: Yes. Yes. Lots of fresh air, lots of family time. We started living at, uh, with my fiance's parents, then moved over to staying with my parents. But now I think it's time to get our own space. <laughs> yeah. A little couch surfing here and there, you
0: know? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a founder life, you know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's the founder life no one talks about, <laughs> the couch surfing that happens. Right. So tell me about your childhood. What was it like growing up? What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be a doctor. And it was really sort of inspired by an experience that I had from an early age. So I was raised by a single parent with a pretty severe autoimmune disease. And when I was a teenager, my mom switched over to seeing this more holistically minded doctor. And long story short, she saw this incredible improvement in her symptoms. It was Really like night and day, and so that was sort of like the pivotal moment for me of like, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, I want to go to med school, and then I want to sort of like practice medicine through, you know, the lens of holistic care. So mm-hmm. I've definitely always been that person who was really into the wellnessy side of things and, you know, thinking about like how we can better our, our health, like holistically as, you know, as naturally as possible. So,
0: yeah. So did that work, I guess, for your mom, this kind of
1: holistic approach, like what did she have to do? That yeah, it. it did. I mean, it was like all sorts of different supplements and dietary guidelines and, you know, going to see the specialist and it worked. So that carried me through college. Like I, I went down to uh, the city for school and I was pre-med there and, and all was well until my third year of college I found out that my mom actually had to stop seeing that doctor cuz she just couldn't afford it anymore you know that stuff isn't covered by insurance
0: of course right it's like the one thing that re- that we all need and
1: insurance doesn't cover right. it yeah. right and so you know that really kind of forced me to pause and consider what it was that I actually wanted to do in wellness and how this piece of like accessibility played into it. So yeah, I mean, it did work for her and it only made me that much more, you know, passionate about getting into the space and like figuring out how to like do something decent with it.
0: That's awesome. So you kind of went from, you know, wanting to be a doctor and, and seeing that with your mom. And so you went to NYU I Talk to us about you know your your school and kind of what made you kind of shift gears. You know you got a bachelor of of science. How did you start thinking about entrepreneurship?
1: I think that I always had that like fire in me, and I, I think a lot of founders will say the same thing that you know they always have have really had the sense that one day they would do something and.
0: Where does that fire come from? Sorry, I'm just so curious because I agree I'm full of fire. So I'm like really curious, like, where do you think that comes from? Is that something we're born with? Is this something from childhood that you experience that makes you so that way? Like, how do you how do you think about that?
1: I think that people are born naturally to either lean into or or not into leadership positions. And I think that there's a lot of that that's just kind of like comes intrinsically from like your your risk tolerance, your desire to do things your way, you know? And and I think that this is something that I say a lot, like when, you know, entrepreneurship is so sexy now. So like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, everyone right. wants to hear every entrepreneur's story, but it's very important to know that there are people in the world who are meant to go out and like start their own things. And then there are also people who are meant to be the like critical foundational systems in those businesses. Yeah. And so I do think that like, I don't know if it's something you're literally born with, but I, I do think it it comes pretty naturally and you, you kind of know whether this is something that is exciting to you, or like something that like you would never want to do, <laughs> and, and both
0: are important. Nice. Like you're saying, I, <laughs> I mean, think both. It's... We can't have one without the other. We can't just have a bunch of entrepreneurs and no one's working. You know, helping to build out the visions. We need both. It's no. crucial.
1: No, and whenever I talk to like a lot of uh, friends who have, who are are entrepreneurs have been very successful. They're like, yeah, I was the worst employee. Like I didn't yeah. have, like, I didn't have that level of attentiveness to the details of, of, you know, like there's a whole different sort We're of just brain like this that, like, care works. to impress. Like, I think with me, that's what it was like.
0: I could care less. Like I was never trying to impress that person. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that there's like, I don't know if you're not motivated by that, I think <laughs> it can be a struggle you know, kind of going yeah. against the grain and not caring, you know, what they think either way, whether they like it or not, because you believe it's the right way.
1: Then yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. So, you know, I think it comes from a few different places. That's interesting.
0: So you graduated. What was some, what were some of your first
1: jobs? <laughs> so right out of school, I sort of fell into a marketing career at a tech startup in New York as one does. How did you fall into that? Well, I was pre-med and I was a psych major because I wanted something that was like interesting and like not as difficult as biochem, like on top (laughs) of the existing course load. And so, you know, it's like, I'm graduating with this psych degree with like no intention of being, of like going into psychology or, or something and I was hearing from friends that at that point, the best thing for me to do would either go into consulting. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Um,
0: or... <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean, right. <laughs> just you consult. Um, I was It's like, like I all don't... the fancy kids from Ivy League schools go and do stuff like that. You know, I don't even know what they do there. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> It was consulting or tech startup was what I was told. We're like, you know, if if you don't have like a very specific degree, but, you know, you, you want a job like those are good places to look. So I actually interviewed for like both types of jobs. I remember like going, I think I borrowed like a pantsuit from a friend to like go to my consulting interview. <laughs> nice. Um, You're like, I can't wear this dress.
0: I've got to be yeah. wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Were you the same um, at the... I would, I would do the same at the tech company, though, too, right? At that time. I mean, this was, what, 2015?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to... Good question. What the hell did I wear in the interview? I don't know. But I specifically remember, like, being very polished for this consulting job. Because mm-hmm. I was, like, talking to my friends who were in business school, and I was like... I don't, like, I don't even know what consulting is. Like, what am I, what am I like, can I borrow form? something? I'll just wear pants <laughs> and see how it happens. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and then, but the tech startup that I, that I ended up working for and, and, and moving forward with was really awesome. And, and they were like classic, like casual, you know, like it, it wasn't like particularly buttoned up there. I mm-hmm. came in as they were, Closing their Series A when I had no idea what a Series A even was. So just mm-hmm. like thrown into the fire in yeah. the best way possible.
0: But what about like the gender ratio? That's why I kind of ask about pants because I built my tech oh. startup company and I don't think I wore a dress for five years, you know, mm. like I, <laughs> I wore pants the entire time. I still do wear pants because it's like it's hard to stop when you <laughs> kind of have that mentality for so long. So I'm curious, like in that environment where you...
1: Well, you know, I the marketing team, which is where I landed. Eventually, I started off as like a sales rep, and I was terrible. And they were like, "What do you want to do here? Uh, <laughs> because like you seem capable, but this is like cold calling is not for you." <laughs> and I was like, "I don't know. I'm a, I like just put me somewhere." And they put me on marketing, and I loved it. So this is how one falls into a marketing mm. career, and my head of marketing, my boss, who's one of my favorite people that I've ever had the honor of working with was a woman who had come from Amazon. So like, you know, intense, intense corporate culture. Yeah. And I just adored her and I, I loved working with her. I loved the, the other folks that she built out the marketing team on were all women as well. So I think I would have felt differently if I were working on like the like engineering or the sales teams, which were as, you know, as typical, like pretty stacked to be male. But everyone that I was working directly with was female. I was, of course, like one of the very, very few, you know, non-white people there. But I think that that was something that even going to a fairly diverse school like NYU, like. And especially growing up in a not diverse place at all, like Saratoga Springs, I was used to that. I could mm-hmm. hang, you know. <laughs> so I just got in there and and did my thing, and I didn't worry too much about how I was perceived. And I think that's exactly what you were saying earlier. Like I I, I didn't think about like oh well how should I how should I make sure that I'm like keeping up with this sort of person? Like mm-hmm. I was just myself, and I think. I, I actually really credit them for like appreciating that in me. I never, I never felt that pressure to make myself something that I wasn't.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: I think I wore pants
0: cause I was, you know, the founder trying to fundraise from all male investors. So <laughs> that, that, that played a yeah, big role. That'll <laughs> and, do it. Yeah. Th- that does some damage. <laughs> so So what happened from there? You, you got into marketing, you're at this tech company
1: and how did you go from that to (laughs) starting gold? So my partner Issei, who I say partner in multiple ways. He's my life partner. He's my business partner. We're high school sweethearts. Oh my gosh, that's cute. And so we had this interesting, I think, window into entrepreneurship because Issei's parents had started a candle business out of their garage at this point, like 25 years ago, and like scaled that into a like small, but like profitable, sustainable family business. And Issei grew up in that. Like he grew up as, you know, a kid falling asleep on the factory floor when his parents were working late. And just, he at a very young age had the equivalent of a, a, a lifetime spent watching what it looks like to build a business, build a family business, you know, do it without outside funding, and and just you know, build it to be you know something sustainable. So, I think that that helped us to understand, okay, this is possible. What's funny though is is that you know we then bright eye that you know twenty two years old or whatever, no twenty twenty three. 23, 24. We we went to Esau's parents and we are like, we're gonna start a company. You know, we're here's what we're gonna do. It's gonna be superfoods. And they were like, Oh, that's not gonna work. You you guys can't do this. Like <laughs> but where'd you get the idea for the superfoods? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I was still, you know, I had come from this interest in wellness, right? Mm-hmm. And I had realized I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to go and just offer like holistic medical services to the people who could afford to like, not, you know, have to use their insurance. And, but I was still definitely that person who was super into this stuff. So like, I was the, the person in college or like at my first job who was like, Oh, here, here's an herbal remedy. How are you feeling? Like, I got you. Like, what do you need? Like raw garlic if you're sick, whatever. Like, yeah, I was just really in love with that stuff really in love with like finding like natural ways to question yes. what do you think mm-hmm. of oregano
0: oil because i don't know if it really works but if you drop that stuff on your tongue you might get you might gag and my... you feel it working <laughs> you know what i played a trick on my sister and my husband don't do this mm-hmm. at home so they're like oh, no. you know i like put the drops in it's like four drops you're supposed to do three to two to three times a week and it i think it's In my head, this is what I told myself is that it prevents you from getting sick. So if you feel like a little, (laughs) oh, something's coming on, like drop some of those under your tongue, but make sure you chase it with water so I of course you know do that but then my husband's like I'm like you need to take some drops like you're feeling it you need to just oh. put some oregano and he's like I don't know I don't know just one drop of course they can't see once they've got their head back they can't, can't see how many drops you're putting in so I drops oh. four <laughs> drops in his mouth and then he's like and then I didn't I forgot you know I was so busy laughing that I forgot to tell him to chase <laughs> the water so he starts it is it's a very evil trick to do to someone but is hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. Worst taste ever. It's just like your tongue is on fire. It's like, it's they're brutal. like in the stink, like with this sausage just like dousing their tongue, trying to get it off. It, it's horrible, but it's hilarious. It's bad.
1: I actually, I honestly swear by raw garlic more than oil of oregano, which can mm. also be a very unfortunate experience. I think the better side of that is that, you know, it's coming because he's you know allergic to about. garlic. So I'm afraid if I did that, might take
0: things a little too far. Yeah, <laughs> that's like one step too far on the yeah. prank scale. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's see what happens now. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I think garlic's probably a better option. So anyways, we went on this rampage, but back to you. So you you were experimenting with all this stuff. You're like, hey, this kind of holistic things work.
1: Yeah, I was super into it. And I, I actually remember that in college, I was an RA, which like says a lot about me and my tendencies to be like nurturing and whatever. But I, I was an RA, and I remember like at the end of the the year, they like gave out these like stupid little certificates that like everyone got. It was like you know just like a participation trophy of like you get a certificate for being this. You get for this. Yeah, mine was holistically helpful, which meant that I was continually suggesting various superfood remedies. That's funny. Help. So I still remember <laughs> nice. that. But so I had that interest. I had now this like window into entrepreneurship and the like the idea that you could start a business. Mm-hmm. And then I think also the kind of like the missing piece there was I was looking at my experiences as a consumer and wellness. And I was feeling very caught between the sort of like crunchy granola stuff that I had Mm -hmm. grown up with in upstate New York and this next wave of offerings that felt so prestige and luxe that the messaging of it didn't really resonate with me and then I also just certainly couldn't afford it so I was really centered on this idea of like how can we take this space of wellness which so many people feel like is not for them and make it easy and approachable and most importantly fun because you why know, do you're you, taking care
0: of yourself. Why do like, you think people are like, Oh, wellness isn't for me. Like, what is it about that? What do you well, I think there's that? a few
1: reasons. First of all, I think there's like, there's that crunchy granola stuff that like a lot of people just don't identify with. Like they didn't grow up with it. It feels like kind of old school. It feels mm-hmm. dated, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I think on like the more like new wave wellness thing, it's very white. It's very reserved for folks of like higher wealth levels. It's, it's telling a story oftentimes of like, here's the ideal. And it's, you know, it's thinness, it's whiteness, it's wealth. I mean, it's, it's automatically not speaking to a lot of people.
0: For some reason, goop comes to mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because we, we work with goop. Yeah, <laughs> And I, and I like you, but I think that there is just a sense of like wellness overall being something that like, if you're not this like health food person, like, yeah. you're not going to step into that world. You're not suddenly never going to like eat a hot dog again or whatever. And like, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of judgment around yeah. the wellness space and the sense of like, perfection and guilt and just all this stuff that I think most people don't want to be bothered with but I think everyone does want to feel their best you know no one wants to like wake up and feel like tired and shitty so there was like this disconnect here where people were th- feeling like oh well wellness isn't for me but like wellness is like the most like intrinsic like foundational level thing that you know you, you should be investing in so that was really kind of where my head was at when i was thinking about like what could i do in this space to you know bring something that feels feels like a value add to everybody so you went to
0: his parents and they were like mm, what are you guys crazy <laughs> yeah.
1: right and then
0: mm-hmm. who else thought you guys were nuts or what was the first kind of product that you guys wanted to launch and you know what made you kind of take the naysayers and say, yeah, we're going to do it anyways. I don't think anyone thought it was a good idea. I don't think anyone was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> like, well,
1: I What remember, were your first
0: couple of products that you were like, we're going to launch with XYZ?
1: We launched with our turmeric latte blend. And so it's a powder blend of six superfoods, turmeric, ginger, coconut. So his parents were like, no one will eat this, right? It was a <laughs>
2: Well, like, yeah. What? And
1: I mean, it's just like, where are you going to sell this? What are you doing? Like, this is going to be so much harder than you think, you know, mm. and, and the jaded and, entrepreneur. Know, <laughs> right. Of course. You know, and, <laughs> and our friends were like, huh, don't you guys have jobs? Like, why are you, why, why can't you hang out on the weekend now? Like, why are mm. <laughs> what is this thing that you say you're going to sell superfoods on the internet? Right. So. This was like a fun, this was 2016 or so when we were like working on like developing it. And it was just a couple years short of that moment when suddenly like everyone and their mom had a business or two, you know? Right. So I think like people, people are still kind of like, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to like start you know, Why? So the first product was our turmeric latte blend. And that was the only product that we had for like a year. And we did everything ourselves. We figured out how to do packaging design ourselves, product photography ourselves, still do both of those things in-house, by the way. (laughs) But like, you know, designed the the website, figured out the formula. We were like mixing up turmeric blends by hand in our Brooklyn apartment, which was questionably legal at the time. Like just, you know, it was the two of us and I think a couple thousand dollars in savings between us. And we just were... Figuring it out, very part-time, very small operation, and getting it off the ground.
0: When was the moment where you thought this is never going to work and the moment you thought this is actually working?
1: Ooh, I like that question. There have been so many moments where I was like, oh, this is never going to work. Was there a big moment where you're like, oh, sh- this is like really tough
0: to recover from or like, what are we doing? You know, just I know you, it's like frequent to have those doubts or, or normal to have those doubts frequently, but, you know, was there like kind of a big
1: thing where you're like, I don't know, how are we going to recover from this? You know, I don't know if I'm looking back on like year one with rose colored glasses, but honestly, I think I was so young and so naive and the business was so small that like I, I hadn't, I had no expectations for it. My And no, I had one expectation for it. And it was like my, my pipe dream was, wouldn't it be crazy if this business made enough money to pay our rent every month? That was like, that would be, I, I, I didn't have like target on the brain or like any, I wasn't thinking about investors or anything. So I think that in year one, everything kind of like everything that happened felt like a win. And we were right. so small. I mean, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a financial model. Like we, we were just like, oh my gosh, we shipped out like five orders this week. That's so amazing. That's like five more than last week. <laughs> so there was a moment that was very hard in the first year, I remember, which was our apartment in Brooklyn. The lease was up in July. And we had kind of like gotten to the point where we couldn't keep working our full-time jobs anymore. Like it was just, even though the business was teensy, 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 tiny, it was already taking up a lot of our brain space and we wanted to be able to do more. And we realized that we couldn't possibly keep living in New York and just focus on this business full-time. So Mm -hmm. I had a convenient situation where my mom was getting ready to sell her house because she was going to move in with her mother, my grandmother, and take care of her. So mm-hmm. my mom was getting ready to sell her house upstate, and I called her and said, Mom, uh, don't sell your house yet because Issei and I are going to move in to build our superfood business. <laughs> She's like, um, wait a minute, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so she said, okay. And we, we, we moved, we moved out of Brooklyn in like July of 2017. And I remember like, I went to like this little like mentorship circle and I remember like breaking down in tears about it and just feeling like, Jesus, I'm like having to move home. Like I'm leaving, like I'm Mm -hmm. leaving everything that I've built for, for myself over the past few years, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 23 years old, 24, 23. It's not, it's not the moment that you want to move. Yeah. Back home it's like you're getting, half you're just
0: getting started, especially in New York city. I mean, the accessibility yeah. to the city yeah. and to events and people yep. and inspiration. Yep. I mean, yep. yeah. To be like, I'm just going to go back home. At, I mean, right. I'm sure maybe there was a sense of almost failure,
1: even though you're yep. just getting started with stuff. Exactly. Exactly. It felt like failure, but that was one of the first moments. And it's one of the moments I come back to all the time of knowing when I was lucky and like having an open house three and a half hours North of the city that I could post up in for a few months, rent free was lucky. Yeah. And I think that it's like the ability to see those things and jump at them, even if in the moment they're extremely painful, that Mm -hmm. like helps you get from A to B.
0: Yeah. I always think of it this way too, with a business, if it fails, the fact that me or anybody had even the privilege or opportunity to even experience what it's like to start a business is enough. Like that you should just be grateful, not you, but everybody should just be grateful for the fact that they even had that privilege and opportunity to do that. Some people will never or have, will never have that opportunity, right? Yeah. So I always feel like whether it fails or not, the fact that you get to try and go to bat is in itself something to be grateful for. And I feel like this is kind of a really interesting example, too, of feeling like a failure, feeling like you're moving back home. But really, it is a huge opportunity and a huge thing to be grateful for that you had on a, a nice house to kind of build a business in, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, the failure piece is so relative and I, whenever I think about failure, I, I kind of come back to this advice that I had gotten from another entrepreneur who had told me, there's only two ways that, you know, you, you, your business fails. It's because you run out of money or because you give up. And as long as you don't run out of money, the only thing you have to worry about is just, just keep going. And so I think there are, there are endless moments where somewhere along your entrepreneurial journey, you're like, oh shit, this is so bad. How are we going to keep going? But, and there were, there were so you know, that was year one, but you know, year two and three, I mean, the business started to cost money and we didn't have investment And so like, we just started putting things on our personal credit cards. And there was a certain point where like, I think between Issei and I, like, I don't know, we probably had like $50,000 in like personal credit card debt and like no income whatsoever and no idea how we were going to ever pay it off. Like, I mean, there were moments when we were just like, oh my God, we're buried. Like, yeah. How are we going to get out of this hole?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Literally in the yes. hole, 50 grand. Yeah.
1: But but you couldn't, yeah, literally a hole. But you couldn't, you couldn't give up because at that point you had to keep going to see if you could ever get yourself out of bed. Right. Like you only have one so, way to go, one way street. Yeah. Like, so it was like, well, I mean, you can sit here and cry, but like, you're going to just have to get up the next day and do this again. Right. Try to so. get it to motivate you guys. Um, yeah. So,
0: So in terms of fundraising, at what point did you realize it's probably best to start fundraising and how much have you guys raised so far?
1: We've now raised, this is like, as of like very recently, we've now like, we, we crossed the $1 million mark, which is very exciting in fundraising, but we started getting outreach from investors like pretty early on. And a lot of those people were not a fit and we also weren't ready to take their money. So we just bootstrapped for the first three and a half years or so.
0: Yeah, I think I remember before you started that you guys literally just started paying yourselves.
1: Yeah, problem. last year.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a long time without a salary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I paid off my credit cards last year. It was crazy. Last year, you just paid off the 50 grand. Yeah. Wow. So how long were, did you guys have that debt for?
1: Two years, 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 three, two, three. I don't remember, but yeah, I mean, it was. And you pay everyone else before you pay yourself. And like, we're the lowest paid employees there, of course. But like, that's a given. But yeah, I mean, you know, we. It was nice, though, because I mean, the debt wasn't nice. The debt was always something it's just it's it's over your head. It's stressful. You worry about it. God forbid any expenses come up. It's a whole different level of stress than just being upset that you have to pay for it. Right. (laughs) But we just lived very simply. So when we did move back to Brooklyn, we got the we got an apartment. We basically just pulled out enough money out of the business every month for rent. We weren't paying ourselves. And I think we spent like $50 a week at the farmer's market and we would like cook ourselves up wonderful meals. And like I didn't buy myself socks even for like three years. (laughs) Like you just, you just don't spend money. You just live, you just go all the way down to zero and live simply. And so like we weren't really like, I mean, everything was maxed out like you couldn't really spend more money, but you I think that it felt in the end like a really great thing that we had figured out, which was that like we could live together simply and like happily on very, very little.
0: Because you guys were essentially living the dream. You're like building something. Yeah. You enjoyed yeah. what you did every day. I'm exactly. sure you still do. And it's yeah. that is, I think, also what helps get through the tough times. It's like, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to be working on something I really enjoy every day.
1: Yeah, extremely. So people, I mean, it all just felt like a blessing.
0: Yeah. It's so a lot of people, unfortunately, going to work, not liking it, <laughs> which is not a good way to spend our time when the majority of our weeks are spent working. It's really important to like it. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? Made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com.
2: I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. You give back a lot
0: in terms of educating and, you know, helping young entrepreneurs. You have like that Insta video series, Office Hours what do you think young entrepreneurs struggle
1: with the most? There's a few things that come up very often. but I think that when you're in your early stage of building a business, and especially if you're young, but honestly, just anyone who's like early in their entrepreneurial journey, it's easy to be distracted. And I think it can be difficult to like focus in on exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. There's a lot of noise, especially today in, in entrepreneurship, you know, like you see uh, constant updates of like this or that company has raised this amount of money or they're going into this retailer or, you know, yeah. whatever. And I, I think that it's a little bit of a muscle that you strengthen over time as an entrepreneur to be able to, see that and learn from it or like, you know, shout out like a congrats, but like keep your blinders on and like focus on your stuff. So I think that a lot of what I do, what I find myself doing with early stage founders is like getting to the core of their why and Making sure that they know that like that is very individual to them and their business. It doesn't really have to reflect why anyone else starts a company and to really lean into that and own that more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, you, I was reading this, of course, reading about you, reading all these amazing articles, and it's insane that you are the youngest Black woman to sell her line at Sephora. And that was at 25. (laughs) I mean, at 25, I was partying in nightclubs in New York City, right? (laughs) Like, I was not anywhere near building a business that would go, you know, selling with Sephora. Talk to us about what it was like to kind of, you know, really win that kind of big retailer, especially so early. What were some of the lessons
1: learned? Oh, A lot of lessons. I mean, I I think that when you're working with a big retailer, it is a totally different game from working, you know, from selling your products direct to consumer or, you know, what a lot of our business had been up until recently, which was, you know, selling to independent boutiques and, and things like that. And so I think one of the things that I really learned was like the value in really building that relationship and also understanding how your product actually like builds that business's opportunity and then how you can lean into that and really be a partner for them. You know, it's no longer as transactional. As uh, like a, a smaller order from like a single customer or you know a, a smaller retailer, it's like you have to be able to see the long game with that. And so you know we had more recently our launch this year with Target, which started with like a few hundred doors, and then you know we expanded from there already, and and you know that's been really exciting. But it's been a, it's been such a journey and it's a lot of work because you're not just focused on like, okay, I got this purchase order. Let me go send this. It's like, how are we going to help co-create the next stage of, of this in- industry hand in hand with this retailer? That's what these big retailers are looking to bring innovative founders in for, they're not just trying to like put a product on their shelves.
0: Yeah. From the outside, it looks very transactional. You're like, oh, you sold your product to Sephora. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, they must (laughs) love your product. But I think it's actually, they love your vision and they want to, you know, kind of learn how to work together with you on a much grander kind of vision, not just like on a product level. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, it's kind of similar to fundraising, right? So fundraising Mm -hmm. with investors, it's not just, you know, selling piece of your company. It's selling a vision, a much bigger, grander idea that requires alignment on both sides. Talk to us about the challenges and fundraising. You said you raised over a million bucks. How
1: did tell us about your experience in doing that? It was a bit piecemeal. I raised a teensy tiny amount in 2020, which was the first amount of money that we brought into the company. I think there were three investors in the round and they were all just like angel investors. So it was very small. And that brought us to, you know, seven figure revenues profitably, which was really, really awesome to see. And so then with all that growth and, you know, going into 2021, we said, okay, I think we're going to need a little bit more resources, you know, behind us. And that was really, you know, we were thinking about how the business had become bigger than just myself and my partner and how we now had like a couple of part-time employees and it was time to bring them on full-time. And it was time to like have the resources to do that and to have a little bit of budget for like a marketing team so that they could actually like execute on things. And so I think that when you start a business that is so kind of so close to you because it's just you and, and, and your partner in it, you don't really want investors in there because you're like, oh, this is just our thing. Like, I don't want someone else telling me blah, 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 whatever. But as it grows and you start to welcome other people into this circle, you realize that, or at least I've realized that it's so much better that way. Um, (laughs) Like, it's so much more like it's, it's, there's a few things. First of all, it's exciting. And it like keeps you excited because it's not just about like, what you want or what you think is best. Like you're, yeah. you're seeing your brand and your product through the eyes of these other folks who have also dedicated like all of their waking hours to helping you build this business. And so I, I think like with starting to build out the team and, and and that piece of it, it really felt very natural to start to bring in more resources through the, the form of investors. And so we raised again in in 2021. And with that, like very recently, we kind of like, we split it up. Like we raised a little bit in the earlier part of this year, and then we just raised a little bit more. With that little bit more, we like hit the, the, you know, over a million mark in funds raised, but still really stuck to, for the most part, like angels and smaller funds. And I went back and, and looked just to see kind of like what the breakdown was of, of our um, you know, investor backgrounds. And this was not intentional, but 90% of the investors in gold are women or underrepresented minorities. And I think it speaks a lot to who our story resonates with. So, I'm also psyched about like the white guys that are invested in gold too, because they're, they're great all too. right. Too. But,
0: but yeah. I mean, they're all all. <laughs> I know. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think 90% of that. my investors were white men. So, <laughs> hence the pants. Hence the pants. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, tech is a whole nother animal, I feel like. For but sure. yeah, that's interesting. So, how big is your team now? And I'd love to talk to you about what you've kind of learned the hard way in terms of building a team. I'm pretty sure
1: we're eight people full-time, maybe nine people full-time now. I don't keep track. And then like somebody joins and then I don't update the number in my brain, but it's somewhere around 10. (laughs) What was the other part of the question? I was husband's like, we have 20
0: people head. on the team. <laughs> You're <laughs> right? like,
1: oh, shit. No.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's like my mom always joking with my dad about how old he is. Like, she always says he's one year older than he actually is. And he has no clue how old he is.
1: Like she's... This is where the prankster shit comes from. I see this now. I've from put it mother. all together. Yeah, that must be it. And now I know <laughs> who to blame. <laughs> Wait, seriously. I, Okay how many people are on the team and lessons learned. Like what, what have you learned learned. the hard way about building a team? Has Mm -hmm. it been
0: like letting people go, you know, I don't know what's, what's some of the hard things. It's hard to manage people. It's not easy. It's hard. It is hard. We've had
1: to let people go. I think that you have to realize that a certain point that you are acting when, when you serve as the, the team lead for the company and you're thinking about like, who's going, where, how you're developing them, whatever, who needs to get swapped out where you are acting in the interest of the company, yep, not you, Mm -hmm. you know? So I have worked on, I think, figuring out When there are at times hard decisions that have to be made Mm -hmm. that are ultimately just in the best interest of the company. Right. And I think there is a very fine line type of balance between the like, we're all a family here, like type of Mm -hmm. energy, which, you know, I, I think that's too far. And I don't think that's what employees really want from their work. But then on the other side, this sort of like tour of duty concept where people are getting like, tapped in and tapped right out as as soon as you know they're they're not able to bring the org to the next level. So yep. I think there's a balance where you invest in people and you help them grow with the organization, but you also acknowledge that as a startup, you're evolving rapidly and the person that was perfect for a role that existed two years ago, that role doesn't exist anymore. You know, like it's, it's evolved and either they've evolved to continue to fit that role or they fit another role better, or maybe they didn't. So I think it's also kind of like removing a little bit of that, like emotional feeling so much, which at least is the way I have to look at it because I'm so empathic and so nurturing and I, I want to help everyone. Um, I think if you're maybe on the other side, you have to remind yourself to be more empathic. Totally. Yeah. I mean, be humane about letting people go.
0: I mean, honestly, there's been, (laughs) I have seen both <laughs> spectrums. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm on the more uh, empath for sure. Like someone cries, yeah. I'm like in tears. I just, it's like right. you know, I absorb everything like a sponge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get really like, you know, attached to my people. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yeah. you are so powerful, you're freaking yeah. awesome. You know, and then what they're like, okay, I'm moving on in the next chapter of my life. I'm like, why? Why would you go? Why would you, you know, like it's so <laughs> hard, you know? Like, what do you mean? I thought you are gonna stay with me forever. Well, like,
1: <laughs> even if you know deep deep down that that's totally the right thing for the business and them. But you're like, but we had a good thing going. Totally. Like, <laughs> Separating
0: that company and personal <laughs> thing for my first company was a, a super challenge. Like yeah. <laughs> it was all one for me. It was very hard to separate the two, which is not healthy because from a self-identity perspective, when your identity uh-huh. is so wrapped up,
1: it's not yeah. good.
0: It's definitely not I good. will
1: say that this is one of the places we're having really awesome mentors that you can count on is invaluable mm-hmm. I, like anytime I've had to let someone go or I've been like worried about like someone's performance I always have like somebody that I can call up and they've been through it 10 times more than than I have and they're like oh yeah yeah yeah." like here's the deal so I think that's having those those like unofficial kind of mentor relationships is very, very helpful for for team oh open. yeah I had an employee totally
0: hang me out to dry when she like quit overnight. I mean, it was like the oh. worst scenario. I, I mean, I'll have to tell it on the show one day because it's just hysterical <laughs> and terrifying all at the same time and like brutally <laughs> painful from an emotional perspective. But anyways, it's, it's, it's chaotic. And it's funny as a founder, you think oh my gosh, I can't believe it. this stuff only happens to me. Like this, you know, this wild and crazy shit, of course just happens to me and you feel alone. But of course I, I call up a friend who's like much more experienced founded than I, and she's like, oh, you think that's bad? Yeah. <laughs> to my story. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm so sorry, but that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What do you think gets in the way of good people making it to the next level? Like, what do you think people have a hard time with or hard time learning? Do you think as like entrepreneurs or as like employees? employees? Yeah. So, like mm. letting go of good people, why aren't they making it to the next level? What do they have a hard time with
1: in learning? Or is this, I mean, it depends. I think sometimes someone never had the right skill set to begin with and you tried to force a fit, mm. which I think is sometimes, sometimes that takes, that can take a while to reveal itself. It's not like you're like, oh, one weekend, sorry, like let's, you know, do over. And that is really something that you have to work on as the employer is really being able to properly gauge someone's fit for the role and understanding what your expectations are for the role. I also think sometimes people have been there for a while and like, they're just, like ready to move on to the next thing they just might not have the motivation to like keep putting in that level of like effort and energy to something they've been doing for a while which is understandable I think yeah. you know at a certain point you're you're you might be ready to move on before as an employee you might be ready to move on before you consciously realize it so I think it's like it's very case by case but those are the two things that I've seen come up the most so let's talk about 2020 real quick. That was a yeah.
0: huge year for everybody, right? Um, yeah. A lot of shit went down. <laughs> a lot. On, on the spectrum of everything, racially, yeah. politically, health-wise. Yeah. I was reading this Harper's Bazaar article and it was talking about, of course, your brand and really about Aww. how this last year was really just such a year that proved that self-care is a non-negotiable, but so is supporting minority-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Do you think that those two things were just like the perfect combination that really kicked things through the ballpark, like for you guys? Or was that like icing on the cake? Or like,
1: how do you view last year affecting your business? Last year, our business had a bit of an explosion, (laughs) which is great. Yeah. I will say that like, I mean, honestly, 2020 was like, was, was awful for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that personally, at least I'm still just starting to like chip away at even understanding all the trauma that I'm carrying from that year. And like Mm -hmm. the things that are like the pandemic in general, we all just kind of like put our hats on and say, okay, we're just going to keep working through it. Yeah. (laughs) Insanity. So it was very strange for me in like June of last year to be like processing, you know, pandemic, you know, shelter in place, whatever. And now yet another black man has been murdered and the video is going around. I remember I kind of like, I like locked myself in a room and like wrote this note out. Like, I just kind of was like, I think I need to say something about this, but like, I just need to sit and think about it. So I like, locked myself in a room and cried and like wrote this note and like ended up leaving it with like, and by the way, we're going to donate a hundred percent of our profits this weekend to the NAACP legal defense fund. Cause like this, like, I'm just going to try to do what I can. Yeah. And that ended up being like, we it started this thing of like record breaking sales after record breaking sales. And then suddenly like everybody is donating. And like, it was like craziness But at the same time, you know, we're having like these great sales days after great sales days. I'm like getting on the like team all hands meeting, literally just like trying not to cry and like trying to process what to even say to my team Mm. and just being in all of this at the same time that like, investors are coming out of the woodwork, retailers, retailers are reaching out and saying like, hey, we love Honeypot Company. And I'm like, wrong, Black-owned business, but thank you. Stop. Oh my God. I mean, everything. So, you know, it it was, it was a lot to process, you know? And it Mm. wasn't just like, oh my God, what a win for us. like, nice. It was like, what the hell is going on? And all of a sudden it felt like, all the stuff that I had been feeling for my whole life of like growing up black in America, yada, yada, was just on display. And I felt like people were feeling it as they were looking at me. Like my team was feeling it as they were looking at me to say something to them in that moment. And it, it's a weird feeling. It's as if like, even though nothing, I hadn't revealed anything in particular, but there was suddenly like this click that like, suddenly everyone was like aware of the plight of black people in America and like <laughs> right. they communicated that, like you could hear it in their tone, you know, it was yeah. just so like, uh, yeah. so it, it was a lot, you know, to, to process, but I, I do have to say that it, it was a pivotal moment for our business. It I think that we were in the right place at the right time. We had we had built out enough of our like personal brand story. You know, people knew that we were black owned. People knew, you know, about the brand. We weren't like so teensy tiny, but this was like this allowed this, there was enough of a foundation there that like suddenly like the celebrities and the press and whatever could just like flood in. Yeah. Weird time.
0: Incredible movement. I mean, I would be, I wish I was a fly on that wall with the with your meeting. Yeah. I'm going to know what you said. How do you, I mean, it's all hard enough as a leader to like, have to have something to say in any kind of critical moment, yeah. but one that's so personal,
1: you know, is a whole nother level. I don't think I said much, honestly. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It was, you know, Yeah. it was, it was weird, but I, I, we lived through it and the business thrived through it. And, um, it's really never been the same. That's incredible. That's really,
0: really cool. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, this is kind of outside the topic, but a little relating, I guess, is to choose kind of like have a very strong opinion, right. About things. I think brands kind of have been sitting on that line. And I think also last year was a a crucial time where it was like, you better choose a side. like You have to choose or you're not relevant, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, I think that kind of catapulted a lot of change too, hopefully. And I hope it still continues. Have you seen it continue on your end? Like, is it still that same momentum or is it last year's
1: thing? The momentum isn't really there anymore. And I think that that is that, that was very devastating to companies that I think were in a different, I think if you were a little bit smaller, and you went from being teensy tiny to like suddenly having sales, and then you didn't have the infrastructure to support that. You know, you mm. didn't have supply chain built out yet or anything. I think that could be pretty devastating. I think that we were fortunate in that we were able to just see like a, a like a, a level set change with our business. And and a lot of things have stuck around. I mean, you can see there are a lot more initiatives to like bring in black owned businesses to tell black founder stories, whatever. Like, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think there has been a bit of a shift, but as far as like people rushing to our website to buy our products, like just to like feel relieved of like the guilt over the death of George Floyd, like that's done, you know? And, and, and I hope that's not coming back because yeah. it's not really sustainable anyways. And I, I don't think that we should like require some sort of like awful, like social brutality to like encourage people to support independent businesses and black right. brands. So I think it did make some changes, but like a lot of that has also, I think, faded away.
0: Right. Right. Wow. It's such a crazy, crazy time we're living in. Well, so what are some of the other, like maybe the hardest things in building the business, like early days? What were some of those big challenges that you faced and how did you overcome
1: them? I'm not a numbers person, which is very difficult. A lot of creators
0: aren't actually like, I think great (laughs) visionaries are not numbers people. Right, right. So it's a good thing. Well, thank you. (laughs) You can learn numbers anytime. Like now I'm in more spreadsheets that I wish I was not in.
1: So (laughs) exactly. And I mean, like, eventually I did get to that point of like being able to like, I mean, I never built a financial model entirely on my own, but like I was the one like working with our finance person saying like, okay, no, like this number needs to go here. This goes here. Like, Mm -hmm. here's how I'm thinking about this, blah, blah, blah. Here's how we're going to model that. So you know, I did get that skill set eventually, but I think that in the early days, that was really hard because like, not only was I not naturally skilled in numbers, like they kind of freaked me out. Like I, I got panicky. I was stressed about them. I was afraid. And also like, this was a time when I was, I was in a lot of debt. I had already like let things spiral further than they should have maybe. So I was always worried that like, I would click into the wrong, like QuickBooks, like corner and be like, oh my God, like you're this right. is a scary number, you know? <laughs> and and um that took me a while to like get a hold of myself over. Yeah. But I did. So like well, you said.
0: it's probably best that you didn't try to put some numbers together early on because spreadsheets and numbers can literally crush dreams and ideas very quickly. So <laughs> or I would have
1: seen I would have been like girl you're going into debt. You guys- <laughs> <laughs> you might have seen it coming Went way your before. head. Yeah. Literally,
0: I mean, I, I, yeah, my husband's more on like the COO financial side. Puts everything in a spreadsheet. Most ideas I have go down into a trash mm-hmm. can because of that mm-hmm. sheet. So, like right. now, I have a very good appreciation for people that don't, you know, don't look at those things early on. Maybe a little, but like, don't let it crush the idea until it's yeah at a certain point. Like, give it some yes. time to grow. I was yes. not a numbers person either. I remember having a, a conversation with an advisor of mine. And I was like, oh, I got to get these financials done for this investor meeting. And I really mm-hmm. don't want to. And I like, don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And I just kept telling her I'm not a financial person. Like, I don't know. Numbers are not my thing. And she looked mm-hmm. at me and she like straight in the eye was like, what are you talking about? Of course, you know, numbers. And of course you're going to be just fine figuring this out. Like you can do it. Right. And kind of like Oh, like yeah. So almost embarrassed if I kind of argued against her because it was like she was trying to lift me up and I Mm -hmm. kept trying to push myself down and she wasn't tolerating it. And I'll never forget that moment because it really pushed me to be like, yeah, what am I talking about? Maybe I should uh maybe I should try this. (laughs) Like like, (laughs) now I feel like I have to because she's challenging me about this. Mm -hmm. Um -hmm. but yeah. I think numbers can be easily learned, is basically I think more old story. But um, which it yeah. sounds like I'm sure by now you are in spreadsheets over spreadsheets at some points. So oh yes. Oh <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so do you have any final advice for entrepreneurs? And then before we wrap up, I'd love to hear also where is gold going next?
1: Hmm. Uh, I feel like I deposited my two strongest pieces of advice already, which is number one know when you're lucky and number two know your why if you have those two down you'll figure it out and what's then your why though what's your why did we ever let's hear your... <laughs> well i mean i feel like you know there's this piece of like making wellness easy fun and accessible like which is what i come back to again and again and again and when i think about like product lineup when i think about marketing opportunities i come back to that And then the other piece that is a little bit more personal to myself and and my partner Issei is that like, we really set out to do this because we wanted to do something that like felt good. We wanted to do something and have fun with it. So I remind myself again and again, if I'm like complaining about it or like, oh, this is so hard. I don't want to do this. I don't like this. Like, taking a step back and saying like, okay, is there something you need to adjust about the way that this is running right now to get back into that? Or are you just not appreciating what is right in front of you, which is like a lot of good stuff. So you don't have to have just one why, but coming back to those things, especially like in the moments where you're making these pivotal decisions around like, am I going to bring in a big investor? Am I going to go into this retailer? Whatever. Like, what, what are you trying to do? Is it like a big exit that you're after? Is it you know do you want a lifestyle business whatever like come back to those things and they can adjust over time it's okay if they change but like make sure that you're like staying in touch with that and not mm. just reacting at like the stuff that's like coming in front of you
0: that yeah makes sense. absolutely i think a lot of people are like i don't know what my why is
1: well i don't have a, a why time. how do i
0: find my why
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know just sit with it. And think, just, I don't know. I go on long walks and I find that like that there actually is some sort of scientific proof that like going on, like walking helps. I don't know what it is, but like it helps you th- think through stuff. Hmm. So go on some walks, talk to a friend, whatever. You'll get there. Yeah, it's a process. It I didn't know
0: what the hell I wanted to do for a really long time. Like <laughs> it's just, it all kind of comes together. I think a lot of young people are, stressing all the time I know I was What am I yeah. gonna do with my life what's gonna happen I don't know where I'm going but it, yeah just gotta trust the process
1: I feel like also what's gonna happen is you're gonna get one year older every year and the best thing you can do is like you know enjoy it and mm-hmm. be grateful for it and yeah. you know hopefully build some stability around it in the meantime like not saying like YOLO or whatever but yeah but like YOLO and work hard, you know, yeah,
0: just you know. <laughs> have a balance. Right.
1: There's got to be some new, like terrible acronym that we can use I know. instead. But not YOLO, but no something else slow. <laughs> so what's next for gold? What can we see? Got some cool products coming out or what? <laughs> we do. We launched five new products in like the first six months of this year. So we're taking a little break for the rest of 2021. <laughs> besides like a few fun things like we have like little like things that are gonna you know pop up whatever but like no like true newness but 2022 you do have some new products coming and I think ultimately just like really focused on this goal of like continuing to like make wellness and superfoods accessible to everyone like we're thinking about that across product formulation price points retail locations marketing opportunities whatever like that's just what I'm excited to keep doing. So absolutely. Well,
0: I love the superfood lattes. You guys have such Aww. cool products. Those who are listening, definitely go check out gold.com.co. Co. I thought it was co. I'm uh, so concerned about <laughs> making sure that we say there's an E at the end of gold that I forgot I know, what their I know. domain was. We got you there. <laughs> gold with an E dot Co. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Trinity, so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time.